You're very welcome back to the programme. Now, the Frank McGuinness play, Observe the Sons of Ulster Marching Towards the Somme, became an instant classic when it first premiered in 1985. And it put McGuinness on the radar of everyone in the theatre world, building on his first big success, Factory Girls, which is back in 1982. Well, it's just over 30 years now since that premiere. And it's just over 100 years since the tragic events of the Somme, which inspired the play. For more, I'm joined now in studio by Frank McGuinness himself and also by actor Sean McGinley, who's going to be appearing in a new production of the play at the Abbey Theatre, which opens tomorrow evening. Thank you both very much indeed for coming in to join us this morning. Frank, uh, just for those people who are not familiar with the play, can you just outline the the basic story, if you like, of the play? Well, it's really the story of of eight rather ordinary uh, young men who uh, have enlisted to fight in the First World War. And as everybody was at the time, at the beginning of the war, um, they are remarkably innocent of what's in store for them. And bit by bit, it dawns on them um, the size of what they've undertaken and the scale of the commitment. Um, And you watch them, I think, in the course of the the play's four acts become... um, a, a band of brothers, you watch them become a, a team of players. Um, they are remarkably individual, even the ones who come from the same part of the world. But uh, by the end, they stand united and they realise that they are fighting for each other as much as any other cause. And that's what gives them really the courage and the commitment to go through the horrendous events of that terrible day. And how did you come to write this play? I mean, if you go back, I suppose, early 80s, you would have been looking yeah. at this. It wasn't a time when we were talking about the Battle of the Somme a, a lot. And these are men from the Unionist tradition in Northern Ireland going over to, to fight for the British Army. Why was it of, of interest to you then? I worked for uh, my first ever job was as a lecturer in English at the University of Ulster in Coleraine. And um, as anybody who knows anything about the, the topography of towns in the North Ireland, uh, at the centre of most of them there is a war monument. And that was certainly the case for uh, Coleraine, where I was working on Enniskillen, where I was visiting a fair amount of times. And I became intrigued as to, you know, why were they so prominent? And then it dawned on me the reason I didn't know was because it was almost deliberate policy on the part of the education authorities in the South not to teach us anything about um, Irish men and Irish women's involvement in these two great shaping events of um, the world and of, certainly of Europe, of World War One and World War Two. And of course it was a, a deliberate policy to um, allow a certain exceedingly narrow nationalist view to be uh, propagated. Um, so you began your research then? Yes, I, mean, were I was you actually in protest against my stunned. own education. I was overwhelmed by the, the size of what had happened and the fact that I was kept, as I say, in the dark about it. But I also felt that it was um, a tremendous story of courage and of commitment and a tremendous a tragedy. Um, and, you know, the, the, the storyteller in me was, if you like, um, hell-bent on finding out more about it and telling this big story. I had originally intended that that play, that this play would be the first play, but I knew enough to recognise that I didn't know enough about the craft to put on stage what I wanted to put on stage, and I had to learn a bit more about the process of writing a play, so I wrote The Factor Girls and Bag Lady before doing it. Um, it was the third play, actually. Um, so this was the play that you had started out as a Play, this is a play I really to wanted to write um, first off, but I, you know, some instinct in me told me how your horses, how your ways for a while. Big, too big for to the time being. Get a bit of uh, experience under your belt, get a bit of craft under your belt. And when you look at the play now, 30 years later, 
is it still the play you wanted to write? Is it? Is it? Are you happy with that play? Entirely? Well, I mean, it's a play that I wrote. I haven't changed. I mean, I think I've changed three words or something like that. Actually, and they're, they're quite significant three words. But that's it when I looked at it. Uh, I feel it's kind of dishonest to go back to a play you wrote thirty years ago and then start doing things with it. So I don't do that. The one thing I would say is that um, when I wrote it. Uh, the men who were, you know, the actors who were fighting could have been my brothers, even slightly older brothers. I look at it now, and the actors who are playing it are very definitely my sons, and I hate to say it, maybe even my grandsons, actually, that's the age there. So it's a very different response that I have to it as, you know, a man in his 60s to the man who wrote it in his 30s. That that tragedy, young men's lives wasted. It really hammers sacrifice. home to me. Not merely we sent them out young to die, we sent out boys, we sent out children to die. You have an extraordinary line in that play that... Uh, I think it's towards the end you know that we were not making the sacrifice we we were the sacrifice mm. we are the mm. sacrifice mm. it's very evocative play Sean McGinley your character just tell our listeners about your character in the play oh, well uh, he's uh, he's one of the eight who sur- the only one of the eight who survived so let's say where, he, where he, he starts in the play it's set in the late 60s so he's remembering back 50 years to the 1st of July 1916 and uh, what happened on that day and and beyond. So, uh, in a way, it's, it's it's like a microcosm of the whole play in terms of he, he gives little clues as to what what might happen or what, what parts of the story uh, are, are, are to come. Uh, and uh, like the play itself uh, is, uh, is, it sort of cuts through all that awful rhetoric we hear about the glory of war and king and country and you name it, you know, you, 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 I always think of the, that image of George Bush standing on the rubble of 9-11 with a bullhorn talking about going after Saddam Hussein, bringing him back dead or alive, you know, that nonsense uh, from a draft dodger, uh, like, you know, the last person in the world who would be out there. And I think Frank is, has uh, captured that magnificently in this play in terms of, you know, we were we had the privilege of actually performing the play at the Ulster Tower in Theatreville on the Somme. And when you're there... So at the very place where yeah, this Ulster Battalion yeah, would have gone into yeah. battle on that and day. And, you know, that opening... Frank was there, and that opening speech, Piper's opening speech, I was lo- literally looking at Theatreville Wood where those lads... Made their made, went over the top in the from position and, where they would have been going. Just yeah. that opening monologue, it, it's extraordinary. I mean, that the line. Uh, can I ask you to do some of the lines from that? Is that too uh, much to ask? Kinda, you? It's kind of hard but, out, of, out of context, but um, but why we let ourselves be led to extermination? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Before I go, I, I want to ask you one thing. Why, why do we let ourselves be led to extermination? Uh, we claimed we would die for each other in battle. To fulfil that claim, we marched into the battle and killed us all. That is not loyalty. That is not love. That is hate. Deepest hate. Hate for oneself. We wished ourselves to die, and in doing so, we let others die to satisfy our bloodlust, that lust we inherited. The true curse of Adam. I was born knowing there was something rotting in humanity. I tried to preserve that knowledge, David, to die willingly, to die clutching it, but you defied my death. I need defiance now, David. Take me out of this war alive. Ulster lies in rubble at our feet. Save it. Save me. Etc. Etc. But um, it's extraordinarily powerful, isn't it? It's. Um, it is. It's. It's. It's a. It's a miracle. A miracle piece of writing. Really, it's one of the great plays of the Irish of, in the 20th century Irish theatre canon. And uh, we're we're lucky enough for the first week or so of rehearsal to have the author in the room with us. So. 
uh, and to and to get those like like for Frank to give us sort of an idea of what, what the spark was for the play thirty years back when he wrote it. Yeah. And Frank, to go back to that time when you first wrote that play, I mean, it was mid eighties when it was put on in the Abbey. Yeah, the, the troubles were in full swing. Yes, what tight. reaction did you get as uh, you know? A, a, an Irishman, you're from Bunkrana yourself originally. What, what do people say to you about entering into the minds of the, the Unionist men who went to fight for Britain? Well, I would always consider myself to be at some centre or other a subversive playwright. And, uh, you know, I would always want to think that whatever I was doing was threatening, particularly to myself. So it was a particularly delightful challenge in a strange way to have to... Um, write a play at the centre of whose characters, the Piper, would find it as difficult, uh, not near impossible, to wear an orange sash as I would. So I had to really um, go through a whole series of questions and a whole series of unbalances that would allow me to have some um, deep sympathy with those who... Um, belong to that culture. I also felt it was time that if, you know, you say you're a Republican, you say you're a nationalist, and you come from a country that is so deeply divided then and now as it was, and I think your first duty there is to imagine what it's like, what the other side will do. As I said, we were so shamefully kept from any access, any contact to other cultures apart from our own, the Catholic, Republican. And I really felt as a grown man, I had a I had a moral duty to go and explore that and to talk about it with whatever degree of authority my own findings could give me. It may not be much authority, but at least, you know, you can say you made the effort. I feel that, you know, what I was working on it, um, but really struck me at the most deep level was this profound love that the whole Ulster Protestant community have for their island, for their province, and also um, how widely different they were even within that community, the massive cultural um, separations there were, political and religious, imaginative and intellectual separations there were. I'd never really been allowed to view it as a very um, disturbed and very divided, very questioning community. And of course, that is the very essence of what Protestant faith is about. Mm. That's, you know, it's not a monolith. It's not a, a series of certainties. It's all about doubt. It's all about questioning. And I felt that, you know, tackling a subject like the First World War, confined within the loyalist community, you could really go to town exploring the nature of doubt and exploring the nature of conflict and the nature of uncertainty. And that's what I hope a good play does. And Frank, when you were researching this, did you do it through books or did you go and speak to people in the community who had been involved in fighting for Britain? There's, in a, first, very good, there's a very good library. It was in the public library in Corain called the Irish Library, which is a massive material. It's now moved to Bellamina. Um, I tried to meet people because even when I was writing it, there wouldn't be that many left. But people were exceedingly reluctant to talk. Um, and that was nothing to do with me coming from my own background. It's just that the, the men who had survived really felt comfortable only talking to each other. So I decided that uh, I would have to make this a work of imagination as much as something else. Now, there were plenty of testimonies and plenty of letters back. Uh, letters were crucially important to uh, find out what happened. And then there were a couple of, of, of books, um, you know, like, a great book called uh, The First World War and Modern Memory, uh, Paul Fazelli's book. Um, that was immensely useful and in getting very intimate stories across to you. And that way you could invent 
the very intimate stories that went to make up the individual characters of the play. And such young men. I mean, you also go into the relationships between the men, friendship, brotherhood, romance even. Yeah, I mean, it's about different types of love. It's about different types of companionship. Um, the fact that they say that they have to go out there and fight together if they choose to go out and fight. And that give it, I think, um, if so far as it could be a positive purpose to it, um, that really give them the kind of um, powerful bond, powerful bonding love that, that really makes them who they are as a group. Um, that was it. And, and Sean was speaking there about the production. I, uh, it was actually on the anniversary. The, 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 the a couple of days before it, yeah. We went, we went uh, yeah, to Tierval, uh, to um And I went there very reluctantly. I'd never gone there before. I never could cope with it, I don't think. And perhaps because we were going as a group with all the actors and with the wonderful crew and company we have from the Abbey and from Headlong, I could do it, but it was, you know, not an easy task by any any means. And we went there and we saw the tower and we were going to stage it uh, in the open air. We were improvising the set. I didn't know how it would go. Um, and we were walking up to the tower and the first thing hit me was not just the tower, but right beside it there was a field of barley, a massive, healthy, big field of barley. And the graves are at one side and then there's farmland at the other side. And in this field of barley, there were specks of red. And I thought, ah, there are a couple of poppies here. So I stood and looked and yes, there were 20, 30 poppies. And then I really looked at this massive expanse and there must have been hundreds upon hundreds of poppies. And it hit me like a punch in the stomach. This is where they're buried. These are the this graves. is where men of my island are actually buried. This is the real tomb of the unknown soldier. This is where they shed their blood, where their bones are lying there. This is where these young young men are lying. And I really got a terrible shock to the system at the brutal truth of where they were now. Of course they're buried in graves, of course they are, but there's a lot of them lying beneath fields of barley. And it really hammered home to me the scale of the loss. And to watch your play that night on those very fields where they died, how was that? Well, it was, um, I, I think it was one of the most powerful experiences I'll ever have. And I really, I don't like blowing my own trumpet or anything else. It wasn't just the play, it was the fact that the performance actually really brought home to me how, as I said, how desperately young the vast majority of those who died. And I felt, you know, I felt intensely close to them that night, um, uh, both the soldiers and to the actors. And I felt close to them as an Irishman from the north of Ireland, as an Ulsterman who was not part of the six counties. I felt close to them as a human being, but I also felt close to them as a, a European and how glad I was that we, we came here at the invitation of the French government. And I felt that, thanks be to God, I was born in '53. Eight years before that, the worst crisis that ever helped the human race had ended. And we have, you know, I've survived in my 60s and this is, you know, we're still at peace. And how much we owe Europe for that. But also I felt intensely proud of the fact that, you know, we were sending nine young men out to act. We weren't sending them out to die. And that meant an awful lot. And became a true reality for me when I was there. Extraordinary way to look at it. And, and Sean, it must have been an unbelievable stage on which to perform for you. It was, yeah. Um, being there, like we we spent the full day there, so we 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 saw some of the the graveyards and uh, just the endless rows of white crucifixes and white tombstones, and even the German side as well, uh, and the big 
monument at the Apeville to the, the unknown, like 74,000 names of people who were ne- whose bodies were never, never found, found. who were probably under those feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, listen, um, thank you both very much indeed thank you. for coming into us uh, this morning. And uh, that uh, premieres tomorrow night in the Abbey.